Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I don't know if you know that some of the Christmas carols that we sing are either theologically incorrect or sometimes they just have things in them that don't even happen in the Bible story. And so I want to share with you a very beloved Christmas carol, and hopefully I'm not offending anybody today if this is your favorite Christmas carol, but it's the Christmas carol, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear by Reverend Edmund Hamilton Sears. It's it's a beloved Christmas carol, but I don't know if you know that he was a minister back in the 1800s who wrote this Christmas carol, but he was a Unitarian Universalist. Anybody here know what a Unitarian Universalist is? They still have Unitarian Universalist churches around today. Here's what a Unitarian Universalist believes. All paths lead to heaven. Everybody's going to heaven, and you don't have to believe in God. You can believe in whatever you want to believe. And so this viewpoint is what birthed the song, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. And it's very interesting, the lyrics, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear, that glorious song of old from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men from heaven's all-gracious king. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Now we, we, we hear this and it talks about angels, it talks about people being silent, waiting for the, this message. But what's missing from this song? If you look at the entire song, there's one thing missing. The birth of Jesus. There's no mention of Jesus in the song. There's no mention of of why he came. And so sometimes we can get so wrapped up in all of the trappings, all of the traditions of Christmas, and some of those are very, very important, but sometimes we can miss the forest for the trees. We can sing songs. We can do things that, that are all about Christmas, but we miss Jesus. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to focus on Luke's account of the Christmas story. We're just days away from Christmas, and I think it's important for us to look at what the Word of the Lord says. Now, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. This is the Christmas story. We hear it every year. But what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at this in the light of worshiping Jesus. So let's read together Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And when they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
And this shall be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Here's the main point of our passage this morning. It's simply this. The birth of Jesus demands your wholehearted worship. The birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus demands your wholehearted worship. And so what does that mean? What does it look like to give yourselves fully to worshiping Jesus? And so what I want us to do is as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want us to see five reasons or five truths from this passage of Scripture that really help us understand how we can give ourselves fully, wholeheartedly to Jesus this Christmas season. So let's look at these truths that emerge from this passage of Scripture. Here's truth number one. Here's reason number one. God's sovereign timing is perfect. God's sovereign timing is perfect. Now, you look at the beginning of this passage of Scripture and you hear about Quirinius, the governor, and you talk about Caesar Augustus and the decree and the registration and the house of Bethlehem and and all these, it seems like, incidental Bible trivia. Why all this information about all these leaders and rulers and the census? What's going on here? Well, God is sovereign and God rules over history. If you go back and read your Old Testament, do you realize there's over 50 You can go like actually look. There's over 50 direct passages in the Old Testament that prophesy about the birth of Jesus. 50. And so this is no accident that Jesus was born in this time and this place. He had to be from the lineage of David. He had to be born in Bethlehem. And so I want you to think about just lineage and prophecy. But here's one other thing that you may not know. This was the only time in world history when crucifixion was the death penalty. The Greeks before this did not use the cross as the death penalty. Generations in in societies after the Roman Empire did not use the cross as a death penalty. This was the only time in world history where crucifixion, the cross, was the death penalty. So Jesus had to be born at a point in time where he would go to the cross. And so God's sovereign timing is perfect. In other words, Jesus had to be born. At this very time. And Paul tells us that in Galatians 4 4 through 5. When the fullness of time had come, in God's fullness, in God's economy, in God's sovereign timing, when that fullness had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. It was in the fullness of time. God's sovereign timing is perfect. Now, what's the implication for you this morning? Why is this so important for you? Well, here's the important thing that you need to realize. God's sovereign timing is still perfect in your life today. Some of you may be waiting for something to happen. 
Some of you may be a period in your life where it's really stressful right now. Maybe you're facing an obstacle. Maybe you're, you're, you're facing some uncertainty and you're not really sure if you can count upon God or if God's going to come through and, and you're waiting and you're waiting and you just need to realize God's timing is perfect. Now, it may not be the timing that you want and it may not be in the way that you want, but one thing you can trust is that God's timing is perfect. He perfectly timed the birth of Christ to be at just the right time. He has your life perfectly planned out, and he's going he's to answer, and he's going to meet your needs at his perfect time. I want to remind you that you can rest in God's perfect timing from Romans eight twenty eight. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It's a cause for worship. It's a cause for us to give ourselves wholeheartedly to Jesus because his timing is perfect. His timing is perfect in your life. That's reason number one. God's sovereign timing is perfect. But here's reason number two. God's sovereign gift is powerful. God's sovereign gift. And, and what's obviously God's sovereign gift? It's, it's the birth of Jesus. But let's, let's see this unfold here. In verses 7 through 12. You see, this was a long journey for Mary and Joseph, probably 90 miles from Nazareth traveling down to Bethlehem. And she's pregnant. Now, traveling in a car with a pregnant woman is sometimes fun. But traveling on, we don't know if they walked or if they're on donkey, but they've gone through a lot. Think of the the things that Mary and Joseph have been through. Both of them have been visited by an angel, Joseph wanted to quietly divorce her because he didn't want to shame her. She was betrothed to him. There was the whole scandal of her being pregnant without Joseph being the father and and this whole issue of the Holy Spirit saying, you're going to give birth to the Son of God in the flesh. And now they're, they're traveling this 90 miles. She's probably 13 to 15 years old. That was the normal age of betrothal during that time. So you've got a young teenage girl. She's about eight and a half months pregnant, maybe nine months pregnant. And they're traveling and they get to Bethlehem. And what is the Bible say there was no place for them at the end. Now, one thing that we don't see in this passage of scripture is we don't see the ominous innkeeper closing the door in their face. It says nothing about an innkeeper. The inn was probably a group of tents that the caravanners would set up on the outskirts of town. Here's what the scripture means there was no suitable place for her to give birth in privacy. In privacy. So what did they have to do? They were relegated to really a cave, a cave-type area where there was a manger and a horse trough and hay and all the things that you see at Christmas time. That's where Jesus was born. But then we see the birth of Jesus. Verse 7, She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Matthew's gospel tells us the reason Jesus came to be born. Matthew 1.21 She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. That's the true meaning of Christmas. Trees are great, gifts are great, food is great, fellowship is great, but the greatest gift of all time is Jesus coming to save us from our sins sense. That's why God's sovereign gift is is so powerful. And here's the thing that we need to understand this Christmas. Jesus came to save us from our sins, which means that we're sinners. Then we need to be saved from those sins. 
And let's just talk about sin for a moment. Because oftentimes, we think about sins as those big things that we commit outwardly. Like Pastor Andrew preached about last week when we talk about the Ten Commandments. When you think about lying and stealing and adultery and cussing or or any type of outward action, those are sins that we commit outwardly. But the Bible also says they're sins that we commit inwardly in our attitudes, in our hearts, in our thoughts. But do you know why we sin in our heart, in our thoughts, and why we sin in our actions? Do you know why we sin? The Bible says we sin because at the core of our being, we're sinners. We are born in sin. Every single one of us has inherited a sin nature from Adam and Eve, and we are born in a state of being a sinner. That's the reality. We need to be completely forgiven of our sins. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says this, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one is good, no, not even one. It describes our condition as a sinner, it's our condition, and it describes our actions. We actually commit sins because by nature, to the core of our being, in the depth of our hearts, we're sinners. And that sin separates us from God. And so we're not inherently righteous. The Bible says nobody seeks after God. The Bible says we've all become sinners. And that's the devastating news. Here's the devastating news about being a sinner. You and I can't fix this situation. You can't clean yourself up. You can't make yourself better. You can't morally improve yourself. You can't be good by trying to go to church so many days of the week. You can't pray enough. You can't get baptized enough. You can't give to the poor enough. You and I can't do enough to fix this problem because it goes to the depth of who we are. It goes into the core of who we are. We are sinners by nature and we can't clean ourselves up. In other words, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says we're helpless. We are helpless. We cannot fix ourselves. We are hopeless. We are hopeless. There's no way that you and I can get rid of our sin. And not only are we helpless and hopeless, but we're hellbound. The ultimate end of you and I sinning, if something doesn't happen to intervene, is hell. And so here's the reality. Jesus came to save us from being helpless, from being hopeless, and being hellbound. And the great news of the gospel, the great news of Christmas, is that Jesus, because our sin is so bad, the good news is that Jesus came to save us from that. And he didn't just save us from our outward actions, but Jesus comes and saves us to the core of who we are. He gets down deep into the core of who we are. He transforms us from the inside out. He doesn't just wash us on the outside and and he doesn't just kind of put a band-aid on our knee and he doesn't say just kind of get along and help yourself. Jesus comes and transforms us from the inside out and makes us acceptable before God. On Wednesday nights... We've been studying the book of Hebrews, and there's this passage that we, we came across a few weeks ago that just really resonated with me. Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering, talking about Jesus, giving himself, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, what does that mean? It means that because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, he has made you and I, if you trust him for salvation, in a permanent position of being totally, completely, absolutely cleansed and forgiven, sins, past, present, and future. We are acceptable in a position before Almighty God because of Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. This cleansing, 
This complete forgiveness and cleansing can be yours today if you want it. Do you want to be cleansed from your sins? If you want that this morning, if you want to be cleansed, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to be transformed from the inside out, if that's what you want this morning, if you desperately want that, Jesus stands ready to forgive you today. That's why he was born. He was born to save you from your sins, and he's powerful to do that. You will find a gracious Savior, all-powerful to save you from your sins if you call out to him today and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, cleanse me. Jesus, forgive me. Now, this may not seem strange to you. You may think about this as a Christmas story. The, The message was announced to the shepherds. It's not a big deal. But to the original audience, it would have been very offensive for the message of the gospel to be announced to shepherds. Now think about the significance of shepherds for a moment. Most scholars believe these shepherds were out raising sheep that would be used for slaughter in the temple for the sacrificial system. Little did these shepherds know that as they were out there raising sheep to be literally slaughtered in the sacrificial system, what was being announced to them was that the ultimate sheep, the Lamb of God, was going to be born to one day be slaughtered for our sins. John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus walking by, says this in John 1.29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now the angel of the Lord shows up there in verse 9. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with mega fear. That's the Greek word mega Great. That's usually what happens in the Bible when an angel shows up. Nobody ever goes up and shakes an angel's hand and says, hey, I'm glad you're here. They freak out. And they fall down. And that's what happens. An angel shows up and they're freaking out. These these shepherds are like, what in the world is going on? This is an overpowering situation. And why announce the birth of Jesus to shepherds? I mean, where is this? This is out on the hillside. This is out on the the backside of nowhere. This is not in the the capital city of Jerusalem. This is not among the dignitaries. It's not among the the elite. It's not among the powerful. It's not among the rich. God does not choose to announce this to the power brokers. He announces it to a bunch of shepherds on the backside of nowhere where, where, where nobody would know what was going on. Why in the world would God do that? Listen to what the angel says. Verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Literally, in the text, I preach the gospel to you. That's where we get the word evangelism, euangelions, the Greek word. We preach the good news. And what is this good news? It's a good news of great joy, mega joy, awesome, powerful joy. And notice who it will be, be for. It will be for all the people. Notice the expansiveness of why Christ came. It's not just for the Jews. This would have been offensive because the Jews thought, hey, the Messiah is only for us. And and then the the, the angels say, listen, this gospel, this good news is going to be for all the people. So whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're a slave, whether you're free, whether you're black, brown, white, all the different colors of the world, it doesn't matter. Jesus has come to pave the way for salvation for all people. So here's the good news. Your only requirement, your only requirement for being loved by Jesus is this, that you're a sinner. Doesn't matter how much money you make. Doesn't matter your family background. 
doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how many horrible things you've done. It doesn't matter how many good things you've done. The only thing that matters is that you're a sinner. And here's the thing. The, level, the, the playing field's level at the foot of the cross. Jesus has come to make the way of salvation available to all people. All that he requires is for you to see your need, that you need Jesus, that you're a sinner, and then he can save you from your sins. Notice what verse 11 says. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior who will save you from your sins, and his name, Christ the Lord, the Messiah, the ruler, the King, the one who's going to rule over us. Now, back to the question about shepherds. Why did God choose to give it to shepherds? I don't know if you know this about shepherds. Hopefully there's no shepherds in the audience this morning. But back in that culture, shepherds were considered unclean, outcasts, unreliable, and basically scum. And here's even something further that would happen with shepherds. If they witnessed a crime being committed or they witnessed an unlawful act, they were not allowed to come to court and give a witness or give a testimony because it was deemed that their testimony would automatically not be true. Don't even call a shepherd in the court of law because his message is not, his testimony is not true. Now think about, why would God entrust the announcement of the birth of Jesus to shepherds who were the scum of society, who were suspicious characters, whose testimony could not be trusted? Isn't that just like God to choose the rejects, the outcasts, the nobodies to be the first recipients of the gospel? You see, God chose to come to the shepherds, the ones that nobody would consider, the ones that everybody looked at as scum of the earth, the ones that nobody believed, the ones that were basically marginalized to the fringes. God came to them first and announced the good news. He didn't go to the dignitaries in Jerusalem. He didn't go to the king. He didn't go to the the rulers, the governors. He went to the shepherds. So here's the good news for you. It's good news for me. Are you a reject? Are you an outcast? Are you a nobody? Are you pushed aside? Are you a dignitary? Are you a powerful person? Listen, here's the the good news. I've got good news for you this morning. Welcome to the club of being a reject because God loves to save sinners. If you're here today and you're a sinner, if you're here today and you're broken and you're here today without Christ and you're here and you're floundering and you're here today and you can't figure things out, let me just say, welcome to Emmanuel Baptist Church. We're glad you're here because you found a home among others that are sinners saved by grace. We don't have it all figured out. We're not powerful. We're not prestigious. We're not all that. We are just broken people who have found Jesus And it's like Martin Luther said, it's like telling one beggar where another beggar can go find bread. We're all beggars. So that's the power of God's gift. Let's look at number three. God's sovereign grace is amazing. Not only is his sovereign gift powerful, but his sovereign grace is amazing. Now, the angel here, if it was freaky enough to have just one angel show up, look at what happens. Verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Not a bunch of um, like angels with wings. Like this is, that, this is the army. That's what the word means. The armies of heaven are showing up. And we don't know if they're singing. 
It doesn't say they're singing. All it says is they're praising God and saying. They could be singing. They could not be. But this is powerful. This is one of the few times where human beings are able to see the armies of heaven praising God. It's a powerful scene. And they're saying two very specific things. Two specific things come out of the mouth of the angelic host. What's number one? We see it in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. Isn't it amazing that the first words out of their mouth when they're praising God is, let's give God glory. Everything goes back to the glory of God. Every time you go in the Bible and you see angels worshiping, you see angels praising, if you go back into the scriptures, especially Isaiah, the book of Revelation, almost always what comes out of the mouth of an angelic being is glory to God. You see it in Isaiah. Isaiah 6.3, one of them called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In Revelation, you've got the 24 elders, these angelic beings, They fall down before him who's seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. It always starts, it always ends with God's glory. But notice the second thing they say. The second half of verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, your translations may say goodwill toward men. And that's been mistranslated. When you think of goodwill toward men, sometimes it conveys the idea that we are supposed to have goodwill towards each other. We're supposed to be nice to each other at Christmas time. We're supposed to be generous towards each other. We're supposed to show compassion and love. We're supposed to have goodwill towards men at Christmas time. And I have nothing against that. I have nothing against that. We should have goodwill towards men. We should be nice to each other. We should be gracious to each other. But that's not what this text is teaching. It's not what this text is teaching. The ESV captures the original wording. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let me tell you what God is really saying here. This is none other than God's sovereign grace in election and choosing people for salvation. It means God's good pleasure, God's good election, God's sovereign purpose in your life. God is sovereignly pleased to, before the foundation of the earth, plan out your salvation. Now, however that lands, there's different viewpoints on how you view election. I'm not going to get into that right now. The point is, God planned it before you were born for your salvation. We see this in Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Even as he chose us in him, when did he do this? Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he blessed us in the beloved. So God sovereignly chose you before the foundation of the world to be saved. And here's the beauty of it. He didn't have to. God wasn't up in heaven saying, you know what, I would be so lucky to have them on my team. I really think I should pick them for salvation because they're so awesome. Is that what God did? God looked down and said, they're all sinners, they're all depraved, they're all going to hell. I'm going to choose them simply because I have the right to choose them. I'm going to do that in my love and in my grace. 
You see, the sovereign grace of God is amazing because you don't deserve it. Listen to what Romans 5, 8 says. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for us to get our act together and say, hey, when you guys get your act together, when you've got it all figured out, when you reach this moral standard where somehow you'll be acceptable, then I'll consider sending Jesus down to die for you. And maybe, just maybe, I'll send him down there to die for some really good people. Is that what the Bible says? No, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what was the reason behind that? God showed his love. Here's reason number four. God's sovereign glory is captivating. Now, verses 15 through 19, we see the shepherds go find out what's going on. They go and they visit. They see Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus lying in the manger. But look at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary treasured these things. Mary guarded these things. All the things that that Mary had been told All the things that Mary had gone through, the angelic announcement, the Holy Spirit overpowering her, the whole announcement that she would give birth to Jesus, now it's a reality. It's come true. She has given birth as a virgin to the Christ child, and everything's just kind of swirling through her head. It's coming to fruition. And in this moment, she just takes it all in, and she says, this is captivating. I'm treasuring this in my heart. Now, No other person shared what Mary experienced. There was only one person in redemptive history who carried God in the flesh in her womb and gave birth to Jesus. And that's an amazing experience that only Mary's going to share. So so Mary only has the the only experience of giving birth to Jesus. That's, that's, That's unrepeatable. And we need to be careful that we don't somehow venerate Mary to a position that she doesn't need to be, as some people are inclined to do. She still was a sinner saved by grace, but she did have a unique experience with the Lord. But here's what I want to tell you. Even though it was an unrepeatable event for Jesus to be born by Mary and for her to treasure these things in her heart, we can still have the same attitude as Mary of treasuring Jesus in our hearts. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting word. Treasure. What images come to your mind when you think of the word treasure? When you treasure something? When you value something? It's like what the psalmist says in Psalm 73, 25-26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can you say that like the psalmist? There's nothing else on this earth that I treasure. There's nothing else on this earth that I value. There's nothing else on this earth that I hold on to, that I I cling to besides Jesus. He's my portion. He's my joy. Do you this Christmas treasure Jesus? Is he your joy? You see, Christmas is fun. Hopefully every single one of you are going to give and receive gifts at Christmas time. And you may even get something you want. And it may be so exciting to open that and like, oh, I finally got what I want. But guess what? It's going to get old after a while. It's going to break down. And guess what's going to happen the next year? You're going to want something different. There's going to be another Christmas and another set of gifts. But here's the one thing. Jesus is like no other gift you're going to receive. Because God went to great lengths and God spared no expense to give you the greatest gift in Jesus. And so the question is, what are you going to do with the gift? 
What are you going to do with the gift that Jesus has given you in himself? Are you going to treasure him? Here's number five. God's sovereign gospel is worth sharing. Let's go back up and look at verses 16 and 17. The the shepherds went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They had made it known. Literally in the original language means they broadcast it. They, they, they announced it. They, they probably went back to Jerusalem and announced it. They went back to Bethlehem and announced it. They went up and down the streets announcing it. Now think about it. If you had, been, if you had seen the angelic host appearing to you out of heaven and then you went and saw the Christ child being born, could you not help but keep it in? Would you not want to go share it with everybody that you, that you came in contact with? But here's that lingering question. Are the people going to listen to the shepherds? Are the people going to respect the shepherds? Are they going to trust the testimony of the shepherds? Verse 20 is the key. Not only did they broadcast it, not only did they go about sharing it, but look at verse 20. They, shepherds, returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard as it had been told them. Interesting word, they returned. They returned. They didn't hang around and bug Mary and Joseph and sit there. They had to make room for the wise men to come later on. They returned. What did they do? They went back to normal life. They went back to shepherding. They went back to what God had called them to do. But notice the manner in which they went back to normal life. Whatever normal life is for you, Whatever normal life is for you at Christmas time, the excitement of the season, you're going to go back to normal life. You're going to go back to your jobs. You're going to go back to your your places of work. You're going to go back to your careers, back to your schools. You're going to return. So what's your attitude going to be when you return? Notice the attitude of the shepherds. They return doing what? Verse 20, glorifying and praising God. These words denote continuous lifestyle, actions, their actions, their lifestyle, the way that they carried their life was they were living a life of worship. You see, here's what marked the shepherds. They were living a life of worship and a life of witness. A life of worship and a life of witness. They were worshiping the Lord with their lives in everyday life as they returned, and they were telling everybody that they could come in contact with about Jesus. They couldn't keep it in. They couldn't keep it to themselves. They could not be silent. It was worth sharing. It was worth sharing. It wasn't just a one-time lip service, but it changed them. Seeing the angels and seeing the baby Jesus changed them forever. It so transformed them that they had to tell everybody they came in contact with, and they returned to normal life, living a life of worship. So let me ask the question for you. Have you experienced this type of change? Have you been changed by the sovereign God whose timing is perfect? Have you been changed by the sovereign God whose gift is powerful? Have you been changed by the sovereign God whose grace is amazing? Have you been saved by the sovereign God whose glory is is captivating? And have you been changed by the sovereign God whose gospel is worth sharing? Would that describe you this Christmas? Would you commit to a lifestyle of worship and of witness? 
a lifestyle of worship and of witness, that, that your life is going to be one of wholehearted worship of Jesus, so much so that you can't keep it in that it leads to witness, just like the shepherds. I'm going to worship with my life, and I'm going to witness to the greatest gift of all time. I'm going to tell everybody I come in contact with about Jesus Christ. Because here's the bottom line. The birth of Jesus demands, it demands it. It demands your wholehearted worship. Let's go to him in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. We thank you for the grace that you've shown us in the gospel. My Lord, Lord my prayers that if there's anybody here this morning who's never been changed, they've never experienced the, the gospel, they've never experienced the new birth, they've never experienced what it means to have their sins forgiven, their, their life changed by Jesus Christ. They've never repented of that sin, they've never owned up to that sin, they've never confessed it and asked Jesus to forgive them, that today would be the day that they do that. Lord, for uh, the rest of us who have done that, Lord, I pray that you'd give us joy, you'd give us a heart of worship and a heart of witness. I pray that we trust in your timing. I pray that we trust in your glory. I pray that we would trust in your grace and that we would live a life of worship and of witness. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.